0: Good morning, new life. Uh, I am getting tired of saying it like that. I am getting tired of having to come to you uh, this way uh, on a Sunday morning as we have to stream our services. I am ready to gather together again corporately. Uh, and so I just want to make a comment about that. But before I do, if, if you have your Bibles this morning or want to open up uh, on your devices where we're going to be, we're going to continue our series uh, flashback, and we're going to continue... Uh, on in the book of Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 9 this morning. So if you have your Bible, your device, and you want to open up to follow along, uh, please feel free to do that. And so, uh, as I said, I am tired of gathering this way, coming to you on a TV screen or a device. I am so ready to get together again corporately. But when we do that, things will be different. And so what we know now is this, with everything that's been put out Uh, Everything that's being said is that we're going to continue to evaluate. We're going to continue to kind of assess where we're at. We're going to look at things that are happening. But but as of right now, everything is still going to be the same. I say that to say this, that we're going to be looking at the calendar. We're going to be planning and trying to to put some things out to where we can start to kind of move toward uh, getting back together, gathering again Together, So as soon as we know a date, as soon as we know a time, as soon as there is an event or a gathering, uh, we will let you know. But right now, uh, we're still going to continue and try to be as safe and as cautious and as careful and as calculated as we possibly can. But know our heart is to get back to some semblance of normalcy. And as soon as we know, we will let you know. And so I just want to mention for a second a word that I just used or just kind of talk about it for a second. I use the word normalcy. And what I mean by that is gathering or community or doing life together the way that the church is supposed to. And so I just want to caution you or make you aware that things are going to look different for us as a church. Things will be different as a result of what we've went through in our world. As a result of the COVID-19 virus. And so for us here as a church, our primary goal is the safety of our people. That is so very, very important. And so what I know is that there's no magic formula to restart this or to get it back to normal or uh, to, to do things like we used to do. And as a result of what's happened, we want to be cautious, we want to be careful, we want to be calculated, all the while still trying to be as aggressive as we can to uh, get back to, to family, to community, To gathering together. And so all I know is this is that we're going to do everything we can to comply with social distancing, to uh, be safe. I I just know that we have men and women in our church who is battling cancer, who has been sick, who is recovering from certain things. And so we want to, with everything in us, be guarded and cautious. And we don't by any means want you to feel guilty or feel pressured when that day comes and we have the opportunity to gather uh, to feel pressured to have to be here. We're going to continue to stream online. We're going to continue to have a presence out uh, on social media and online and those type of things. But what we do know is this, is that the way that we do ministry will change. The way that we do ministry will be different. Even the way that we gather will be different. The way that we greet one another when we first get here or even in a service will be very different. Even to the point of the way that we take up our offering will be different. The way that we do children's ministry or youth ministry will be different. Even our Wednesday nights will be different. And discipleship, the very heart and core of who we are, has to change, has to be different. And so throughout all of this, man, God has really pressed upon my heart. And I'm praying like crazy. I'm talking to staff. I'm going to look at some leadership around here and start to look and press of how we can go and and change as a result of this to the betterment of what God has called us to do and be as a body, as a people, as His church and His bride. So so what I do know is that there's never been a day like this for the church. Never been a time in my lifetime or probably your lifetime for the church uh, where she's been affected as much as she has now. So we want to navigate in a way that is calculated and careful all the while as being as aggressive as possible as it pertains to the gospel being shared, our vision being lived out of making disciples, and gathering and getting the family back together for corporate worship. So that's our heart, that's our plan, and that's what we're doing. We're looking and we're praying and we're seeking and we're asking God for wisdom and vision in this time. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd join me and then we'll jump in here in a few moments to Romans uh, chapter 12. Father, I I just thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather. God, thank you for the team that you've assembled that allows us to be able to do this. God, for a band that can gather and lead us into your presence through song. God, thank you for them. God, for a tech guy that can put together and do all that he has done over the last few months for us to allow us to, to be able to stream in a way that can reach more people than we've ever reached, that we can share and get your message out to more people than we've ever got it to. So Father, thank you for the team. God, for a, a, a children's director who loves our kids and is trying to be as aggressive and calculated as possible to serve and love on those families and those kids. Uh, to a student pastor who is streaming and doing and serving in a way to try to again make our kids and our youth feel loved and valued. And so God, I just pray you continue to move and speak in a mighty way. God, thank you for your word. Shape us and mold us this morning by the proclamation of your word. God, may you receive glory and honor. Name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at Romans 12 and 13, and we're just going to see how Paul instructs the believers in Rome. What he tells them they need to do, what he tells them they need to be about, how, how we're going to follow up from what we looked at last week in Romans 12, 1 and 2, about this thought about being a living sacrifice. We're going to continue down this road. And so last week, Paul commands the believers to do what? Be a living sacrifice. He tells them not to be conformed, not to be shaped and molded by this world, but to be transformed. And the way that he says to do that is how? By the renewing of their minds. To, to take captive your thoughts. And when you do that, I mean that's worship. When you live sacrificially, die to self, take your thoughts captive. And that is worship. And you can know what God's will is. And he instructs the believers there at Rome to do that very thing. And so what we're going to do each week is just flash back to the cross and to Jesus' life and examine how we as his followers are to live a life transformed into his likeness. And so this morning we're going to flash back to the cross and we're going to witness this demonstration of God's love for us just before he goes to the cross. So Paul begins to describe in practical terms what, it, what it's meant to live in light of God's mercy. Uh, to be a living sacrifice. Rather than a living according to the ways of this world, to the direction and the path of this world. And so Paul in the first two verses of Romans 12 begins by describing a life which is pleasing and a life which is aligned to God's will. A life that, that shows the way that God would, would want us to live as followers of His. Paul describes that and lets the believers at Rome know how to get on the same page as God. And so he goes on to describe that a a life that's a little deeper, focused, living in that will of God is a life lived by love. And so Jesus as He lives, Jesus as He breathes, Jesus as He commands, He he puts the same thing on the men and women of God. It's to live a life of love. And so if we flash back to the upper room, we can see Jesus there uh, sharing his last meal with the disciples, and he gives them this commandment. He's washing their feet, and then he encourages them by saying this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's what he tells them in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, love each other as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this. He says, there is no greater love that you'll ever know, that you'll ever experience, there is no greater form. There is no greater display of love than this. And this is what Jesus says as he continues to talk to his disciples. No greater love than this than you lay your life down for someone. I mean, how amazing is this? This is Jesus before he goes to the cross, pretty much telling them, boys, I'm about to show you an example of this. I'm about to make this known firsthand for you what this looks like, this love that I'm asking you to love with as, he about, as He's about to go lay down His life for His friends. And so in those verses, if you'll just notice how Jesus instructs us to love one another, sacrificially. He instructs us to love the way that He loves and He's modeling that. He's going to model that at the cross. And so what I know is this, is that we are incapable we are incapable of loving others in a way that is pure and a way that is true until we know and experience the love that God has shown for us. And we can try to muster it up and we can try to make it happen, but it falls woefully short and it ends on self. See John one of Jesus' disciples, he sheds light on this. When in first John four nineteen he says that we love because we were first loved. So we can show love, we can live out love, we can be love in our world. Why? As followers of Jesus, because Jesus did it for us first. We've experienced it, we've seen it, we've read about it, we've come to know it in its purest, truest form. And so as a result of that, now we can go and we can do and we can be, because He first loved us. And so as believers, we need to live daily in this love. And so Paul's going to continue to build on this thought of love here in, in the book of Romans. Romans 12.9, let's, let's jump in. This is what Paul writes to the believers. He says this. He says, let love be genuine, Romans 12.9. So all of the things that Paul could have said that love should be, he says genuine. He, he could have said, let love be great. Let love be earnest. Let love be joyful. Let love be good. Let love be long-suffering. Let love be constant. Let love be bold. He could have used any of those words. But instead, he decides to use this word genuine. He uses this word genuine. He says, let love be genuine. Why? I mean, why would Paul use this word and say that our love should be genuine? See, I believe it's it's because it's so easy for us as believers to fight against the flesh and to be conformed by the world and to see how the world does things and define it the way that the world defines it, that he goes back and he says that this love that we are to have, the way that we love, should be genuine. It should be real. It should be authentic. It should be heartfelt. And see, love defined by our world is opposite of that, is it not? Many a time, the way that, that we define love in the world or in this culture is, 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 is it's more concerned about self. What can you do for me? What do I get out of it? How will, how will I appear? How will it benefit me? How can I create a good impression of myself? And those are the types of, of things that is calculated when we start to look at love as it pertains to the world. What do I get out of it? How do I benefit from it? What will it do for me to help me get ahead? What will I receive from this relationship? I mean, mean, it's just just the way that our culture and our world operates apart from Christ. Well, because it's self-focused. It's me, me, my, my. That's the way that we live. That's the world that we're in. How can I get ahead? How can I do? And so just real quick, just, just two examples, just kind of off the top of, of my mind, where I've had the opportunity to experience, and I know that there's many in my life, but just two real fast that just come to mind real quick as I was looking and reading through this, as we, we think about love and it and it being a genuine and real and true and sacrificial, like Jesus would call for. I just I was thinking of my dad, and I think I think of my my dad, and and the reason why he comes to mind so quickly this week is because this Thursday he had the opportunity to retire. And, and so I've shared it before, but my dad is a coal miner working in the mines of, of West Virginia. And so he's been doing this for 46 years, started when he was 17. And so he has the opportunity to retire. And he does this past Thursday. No more coal mines, no more going down in this big dark hole to mine. But now he's, he's finished. That part of his life is over. And so the reason why I want to talk about love being genuine and I want to connect it to my dad is simply because this. For, for, for all of my life, all I've ever known is my dad taking care of my family in this, this way. I mean, this is not a fun job. This is not a glamorous job. This is not a glorious thing. You don't get a pat on the back. You don't get a bravo, good job, way of, for saving whatever or doing whatever. No, no, no. no he, he has lived a life for the last 46 years of getting up early in the morning and coming home late at night. And I can remember for me as a kid many a time he would come in as it as the as the sun was setting, but he would take time, make time to go out and throw a football with me or to go out and play ball or, or rough house with me on the trampoline. Knowing that he was dog tired from from working that morning. And then if we've followed out even more, because like working in a coal mine is not glamorous or glorious because you go down in this hole and you have to pack your lunch every day. And so I can remember um, uh, for the, the 20 years, 18, 20 years of me being home, that my dad would pack his lunch every day. He would take a cold sandwich to work every day. And it's not that you get 30 minutes here to go over and sit down and enjoy your lunch with your buddies and talk about what's going on in life. No, you've got to find a few minutes here and there to, to be able to eat your lunch. To be able to get away for a second and just try to scarf down a sandwich or a candy bar or crackers. And and so, for 46 years, that's what he's been doing. 46 years, he has lived sacrificially for our family and for the betterment of our family to provide. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, to sacrifice in that way? Another example was uh, this past week, Meredith uh, was talking with her parents and Just in talking, I got to be a part of that conversation and hear that her grandparents celebrate this year 70 years of being married. 70 years of a life spent with the same person, committed to that person, all in to that person, regardless of how good it is sometimes, regardless of how bad it is sometimes. 70, that's almost double my life. They have been married and committed to one another. And so as I think about love, that has to be genuine love. To spend 70 years with one person, man, how I long for that and how I'm jealous for that, and how I, I want that for my, I want that to be my testimony when, when God takes my life. man, this man committed to, showed and modeled what it meant to be committed to one woman for his life. Seventy years. That's genuine love. The ups, the downs, the goods, the bads. And what a picture of genuine love. See, a lot of the motives and consuming desires in this world as it pertains to love is for what self? What can be gained? I know those are two images or two illustrations that I give this morning. And there are many, many more illustrations even within our church, but two that just, just stick out to me this week. And so what Paul is saying is that for us as believers that we need to fight against fake love. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. Our love for one another shouldn't be by pretend or, or fake. God, God calls us to love one another the same way that He loves us. How did He love us? He dies for us. And as I said earlier, Jesus makes the comment that there is no greater way to express love than how offering your life offering your life he goes on in verse 9 he says this he says a bore what in the world is a bore a bore means just to to loathe or to hate he says hate what is evil hold fast to what is good so as followers of Jesus we are to have an intense dislike for that which is evil and we're to hold fast to that which is good which is Jesus his way his direction his will so I guess my question for you this morning is, as I think about this, as he says, "Men abhor what is evil, loathe it, hate it, despise it, have nothing to do with it, but cling to what is good, love what is good, follow what is good. My question for you is this, do you have a holy hatred for sin? Do you despise sin? Is there things in your life that entangle you or entice you and draw you away? And in that does God break your heart and you beg for Him. You beg for Him to give you a holy hatred for this sin, for this evil, for this thing, this stuff that so easily draws you away and entangles you. But Paul tells the believers that there should be that in our life. I and mean, don't ever get comfortable in sin, church. I beg of you, don't use this idle time of, of being different right now and unprecedented. Don't use this time idly. Oh man, press into the Lord. Press into community the best way you can through social media, through meetings on Zoom, through FaceTime, and stay connected with someone. Find accountability. We have to have accountability. That's why I'm always pressing you to have someone in your life that you can confess to. Why? Because when we pray for one another, man, there's freedom in that. When we can be open and honest and not hidden and we can be real with one another, our struggles and we can love and care for one another enough to take it before the throne of God, to hold each other accountable. Why? So we can develop all the more this hatred for what's evil, for sin. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 10. He says, love one another, how? With brotherly affection. So, so there are four basic words in the New Testament uh, that describes love. See, in our English language, this is what makes it so difficult. In our English language, uh, we say we love everything, so in reality, we love nothing. It, it, it's lost its weight and meaning and, and, and fervor. But in, in, in this language, in this time, there, there are four words that, that describe or define what love is. The first one is agape agape is this godlike self-giving love toward enemies toward whoever it's i'm going to be committed i'm going to be all in i'm going to be sacrificial for the betterment of this person regardless of the outcome regardless of what i get regardless of how they respond think jesus on the cross agape love and then there's philea philea is just this love of a friendship or camaraderie it's this brotherly love like we're boys And I love you, I care for you, like brothers. And then there's eros, which eros is just this uh, love of romance, a desire for sexual attraction. It's the physical type love that's to be experienced between a husband and a wife in the bounds of marriage that can be expressed there. And then the last word that we've got for love is storge. Storge. And this love is an affection that arises through a natural attachment, like that of a child or maybe a favorite old sweater or a, a spot just up in the mountains, like your spot, as you get to overlook and see the beautiful scenery and, uh, that God has created. And so the word that is used here in Romans 12.10 is a, is a form of the last. I mean, just think on that for a moment. Uh, love one another how with brotherly affection. And so in our culture or in our world, we I just believe it's so easy for us to miss the heart of what Paul's saying. See, this word for love refers to a special kind of love. It refers to a tender affection, especially for a particular family member, a particular family type affection. And so I know for me, just, being from West Virginia and not having the opportunity to get to see my family as often as I would like, there's just times I just get homesick. I just get homesick and I just want to see them or I just want to go visit or I want them to come see me. And and there's just something that happens just in my soul, in my heart, when I finally get to see my family after a long period of not getting to see them. it just does this so good. The affection and the love that's shown it just causes the heart to feel overjoyed. And when I get to hug my mom and my dad or get to see my sister or my nephews, and when I get to spend time with them, I mean, I thank God for technology, right? FaceTime is good and it's great being, being uh, four and a half hours away. But man, sometimes you just want to wrap your arms around them. You want to touch them. You just want to see them face to face, not through a screen. And I just think as I read this, that's, that's where my heart goes. That's where my mind goes. I man, there's just something that's good. And I feel like when we get to start to get back to some of that physically, I man, we'll really get to experience what that's like. We'll get to feel that all the more. But what Paul's saying is this is how we need to be toward one another. And then look at what he says, how this love is manifested in relationship. As he goes on in verse 10, he says, Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul literally says that we need to try to one-up each other in placing a high value on the other person. We need to try to outdo each other. We, we need to try to, to one-up each other. I, I guess the way that I would say it or the way that maybe um, it could be played out even in uh, like a marriage relationship would, would be like this. Me as the husband of my wife, I should try to outdo her in everything. As it pertains to stuff like this, the chores. Man, if I could do all the chores before she gets a chance to do that, well, so I can honor her that way, so I can love her that way, so I can take care of her. If I can do the dishes, get the laundry folded and put up, take care of the boys, get their dinner made. If, if I could get their beds drawn down, if I could get them in the bath and get them cleaned up and get them on the couch and get them winding down so she can just, she can just put her feet up and she can just enjoy her evening. No pressure from a long day, but just gets to, to take it easy. But I mean, if I can try to outdo her and outserve her in our relationship. I mean, I just, I just, I believe that's what Paul's kind of talking. Like he says just try to one up each other. And not to keep a record of, oh, well, babe, like three days ago, I did everything, it's your turn. No, that's not what this is talking about. That's that's not the picture that he's painting. That's not the motive that he has set. He's wanting you to put a high value on the other person. Care for them with no record of it. It doesn't matter if you get a pat on the back. It goes back to that love. It's not what you get out of it. It's not what happens down the road. I mean, think about this for a moment, church. What, what if in our community, as you're out there cutting your grass, as the grass starts to come in, you cut your grass, and you look over whether it needs it or not, you just continue just to, to take your property line, and you just continue to go further and further and further past it, and you cut your neighbor's yard. And if they're not home, you don't even tell them. You don't even have the opportunity to get a thank you. You don't even have the opportunity to get any kind of repercussion back to you. You just do it because you love and you want to try to outdo one another. And you want to honor them that way. I mean, think about what about like this. If you're out eating, and as you're out eating and you're going through the drive-thru and you look up, and maybe you see a family in the, in the, in the rearview mirror of the car behind you, what if you just pay for their meal? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can honor one another. We can value one another. That we can show this, that we can do what Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. And so when he says to honor, it, just, it means to, to, to not only respect each other, but to place a high value on each other. And so it just seems like in our culture, in our world, it's so easy to point out the dirt in other people's lives. It's so easy to be critical and to talk about and to tear down and to chew up. But what Paul's talking about is this, is honor is seeing others valued others worth identifying them as a child of God and calling out and bragging on the God in them and what they do to honor Him. So To close this morning, and by knowing and believing that God loves us, we can display this kind of genuine love and we can honor one another the way that Paul outlines it here in Romans 12, 9 and 10, the way that Jesus did it for us, the way that Jesus showed us it doesn't matter what we get out of it. It doesn't matter if we get paid back. It's about being obedient and showing Jesus to this world. Paul's pointing the believers to a way that we should feel and act toward one another. And if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't command us. Jesus wouldn't expect us to do it. And so why would we love like this? Why would, we, why would we want to show and do and be this way? Because when we as believers live life contrary to the world and we love not expecting a thing out of it, it testifies to the reality of what our God's like. It points our world to the reality of what God's like and who He is. And to feel hard, to feel indifferent, to feel bitter or resentful toward each other, that contradicts who God is and who we are as believers. Will our affection tell the truth about God? And what he's done for us to atone for our sins and to give us a new heart. No greater love than this. And we want to lay down our life for another. To live sacrificially for another. You see, the way we love, the way that we respond, the way that we act, the way that we go about living and being as it pertains to one another points to the reality of what we think God's like. Points to the reality of what we think he's like, how he is. And so I plead with you this morning, flashback as often as you can and remember all that Jesus has done in modeling first and foremost of what this looks like, lived out with his disciples, with the world that he was in. Also with the way that he went to the cross. Be that type of love in this world hear me church when we do we testify and we show and we exclaim what our God's like that he is worth it may you live out genuinely genuine godly love in a world that is in such desperate need of it now may you look at this and may God by way of the Holy Spirit draw you all the more closer to him in relationship. May this bless you. May God use this in a mighty, mighty way in your life this week. May you go and be this type of love in a world that is hungry and desperate for it. May God bless you and use you. New life, I cannot wait to get back together. Now go be the hands and feet of Christ in a world that desperately needs it. May God bless you. Have a great week.